Welcome everybody to What's on Draft, the podcast where we take anything from film, TV, books, music, history, geography, or anything and draft it. And you, the listener, gets to decide who did it best. I'm Cameron and joined once again by Michael. Mike, what is up? Not much. How are you doing this week? I'm doing pretty good, man. After that dark, dark research I had to do for the uh, conspiracy theory uh, pod that we did. If you haven't heard that one, mine are quite serious and quite demoralizing. So it was nice to uh, have a week where I was able to kind of not have to research kind of what could be the worst in humanity. I agree. Yeah. (laughs) So this week, uh, I was just going through Netflix, but also... I've got CBS All Access right now. And so first, I checked out the new Twilight Zone hosted by Jordan Peele and watched the first episode on there. It features Kumail Nanjiani. And I said, hey, I thought we were watching a movie that uh, we were going to start. And then I realized it was the Twilight Zone. And so (laughs) then we circled back to the new movie on Netflix called The Lovebirds. So that was cool. We watched two things of his uh, consecutively, but both of them solid. Uh, I really like the Twilight Zone episode. Lovebirds is entertaining. I'd probably give it a six or seven out of ten. It's solid and uh, stars again Kumail Nanjiani and then Issa Rae. Uh, help me out with those actors. Nanjiani's been in The Big Sick. That's what he got a lot of. Oh yes, for. yes, yes, yes. Okay, that's right. And then Issa Rae is an actress, writers, writer, and producer. She's got the YouTube web series, Awkward Black Girl. Hmm. I haven't heard of that one. Yeah. Hmm. And uh, she was in the comedy Little and then the drama, The Hate You Give. I've heard of that. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Now, uh, for the Twilight, have you seen Black Mirror on, yes. on Netflix, which is uh-huh. kind of like a Twilight Zone? Uh, it really is. And that one's really up to date with technology and things. Right. I feel like so many of those things are predictive, sadly. Yeah. That's what makes them pretty scary is kind of, mm-hmm. you know, the realism. So how do you weigh uh, Black Mirror versus the new uh, Jordan Peele Twilight Zone? Only watched one episode of the Twilight Zone. And mm-hmm. this one felt very much like the old Twilight Zone. Okay, uh, It was about a comedian. And it's really cool because it features uh, uh, Tracy Jordan. Oh, as the comedian, yeah. What's Tracy, Tracy, Tracy Morgan. Morgan? Tracy, Tracy Morgan. Tracy Jordan's Jordan the character. Is, yeah, is on Thirty Rock. Rock character, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. So he's he's in the episode, and spoilers, but uh, he's he's kind of a genie character, and he grants this huh. lowly comedian his wish of of being funny, and then uh, kind of takes him down this dark path. So. It's it's a good episode, but it's not technology based or anything like right, yeah. Black Mirror. Huh. Interesting. I'll have to I've seen all Black didn't, Mirror, so I have to give the uh I didn't know that the uh Twilight Zone was on CBS because I, yeah. I cool. I I have been getting back into one of my favorite properties, uh Star Trek. So I've been watching, I, I've already watched the new series Discovery and the new season of Picard. And then this last month, uh, I've really been watching uh, Breaking Bad and True Detective. And I think I just needed to change years. Those are just so heavy uh, yeah. so often. So switched it up a little bit uh, for various reasons. And I've been watching some 
Next Generation and some Deep Space Nine. So I, I watch a lot of episodes on characters that I enjoy. I'll put some on sometimes just to fall asleep to uh, some of my favorite ones. So, And uh, I've really been watching them because it plays into what we're drafting today. Uh, and that is we will be drafting our five crew members, um, including a captain, uh, to man our Federation starship. So that's five characters from the Star Trek TV or films. I did not say no books, but I'm sure nobody's going with book characters, even though there are a couple of good ones. But five characters from the TV or the movies, and uh, one of them has to be at least a command experience person to be the captain. Uh, the other positions are open, uh, so that's kind of uh, that's kind of what we're doing. Uh, are you excited? I'm very excited. I'm yeah. wearing my Star Trek gear for the episode. Yeah, I noticed. I noticed me as well. I'm wearing my Picard Command Red. I am. Uh, I'm ready to go. Uh, I only wish that we had another person because I just I don't like drafting with with two people. I just it does not it does not feel uh, effective. Are you worried about going head to head with me? Well, yes, that that, <laughs> but but more because I'm 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 worried that I'm just going to demolish you. But we've never had a draft with two people. I I just don't know if it's going to work. I feel like we can make it work. And that way, there's more people for us to pick between the two of us. Wait, what is that? I I don't know. I, I, it's a red alert. Everyone to your stations right now. Michael, we're being hailed here. It, somebody somebody wants to participate in the draft. It seems like they they want us to 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 beam them over. I I guess beam them over. Everybody, welcome to the pod, my brother from the same mother, my brother from DC, David. David, welcome to the pod. Thank you very much for having me. I'm actually in Arlington, Virginia, right across the river, but when I heard you were doing a draft of Stargate characters, I could not wait to come. I rewatched Atlantis and SGU, so I'm totally ready. Well, that's, that's good information. Uh, I hope you can think on your feet because, of course, today we are drafting Star Trek, not Stargate, though I am writing that idea down right now as it is my third favorite <laughs> show of all time. Not a big Farscape fan, are you? I despise <laughs> Farscape um, and anything that really originates on the Sci-Fi Network with, of course, the, accept the exception of Battlestar Galactica. David, Star Trek... What, how familiar are you with Star Trek? I would say very familiar, you know, when you ask the casual audience. Um, I, I, I've seen an episode of every series. I've seen almost, you know, all, I've seen all of Voyager, both of Deep Space Nine, Next Generation, a little bit of the original series. I watched maybe the first season of Enterprise, uh, not so much after that. But so I, I consider myself quite familiar, but we'll see how that stacks up against you guys. And anything on the of the new on the CBS uh, All Access? Any of those? Two I shows? I have not watched any Discovery or Picard Ooh. because it's kind of been a back and forth. I, I've been mean to start something, but I've been going back and forth between, you know, Rebels or Clone Wars, or do I start Discovery or do I just watch Picard? So I need to make a decision, but I, I'll watch. I'm hope to do it soon before everything's over. Picard is short, so that's that's it's a like good one to eight just... episodes, right? 
something like that. I think it's yeah. eight or ten, and it yeah. is kind of like a like a mini series, a long mini series. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, if you know you have a, an an open weekend or something, or or an open four or five days, lock in and do it. Uh, so it's, 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 it's one long story. Arc. It's one right. long story. You, it is not episodic, if I'm using that term correctly, right? It's no not monster of the week. Yep. Nope. So I have watched all of Picard and Discovery. There may be spoilers. That, that is, I, in, my, in my research, I, I saw a lot of things about characters in those shows. So yes, listeners, I'm going to get spoiled, but you don't have to get spoiled. You can turn it off. Uh, that's a good call out, uh, Michael. So we will allow uh, unannounced spoilers for uh, the other four series, uh, but we will call out spoilers for Discovery and Picard should they come up. Yeah, good call. David, I remember Voyager was on at nine o'clock. Was it UPN or it was, was UPN, it yeah. on Fox? It was, it was a UPN. Re- UPN? I remember that on, uh, we would watch that almost every night for like two or three years. I remember VHS recording the season finale and we were like out to dinner or something and we got back and the tape had stopped. So we had to run into your room and we were like shouting so we couldn't hear what was going on and switch the tapes and then ran out of the room. Do you remember that? I don't remember that. That's yeah, hilarious. I, so. I do not remember. That. I remember we, 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 it was like on a Friday and, and they were re-airing the finale, which we had never seen. So we recorded it, but they re-aired the whole thing, which on network TV, you know, was going to be like three hours. And so we didn't have a tape long enough. So we got back from dinner or wherever we had to go and we had to go switch the tape. So, um, Wow. And that was back in those dark days when if you missed that airing, you oh, were that, screwed. That's it. That is it. It might be on VHS in a year for $30. If, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I remember I bought, I bought the Star Trek film series, which at the time was uh, one through six and then the three Next Generation movies. I saved up. <laughs> and it was only available at some store when we were in Dallas. And I bought it for like ninety dollars oh on VHS, so I could watch all these movies, which I wanted to watch. Gosh, it's so crazy! I wanted to watch them, and I couldn't find them anywhere. So, do you guys like, have the sh- the channel heroes and icons? I don't. So uh, it's 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 on. I get it on over antenna, and I think it comes on one of like the sub channels of an ABC or the CBS station. But they just play westerns and and basically Star Trek, and if. There, if you're ever bored at night, it's great because starting at 8 o'clock, they show the original series, then the next generation, then the Deep Space Nine, then Voyager, then Enterprise. So it starts That's amazing. for four straight hours every single night. Wow. That, that is wow. Uh, Heroes and Icons? Is that what it's called? Heroes and Icons. The yeah, they have, that's what the channel's called. It's, it's over antenna, but also like I know like DirecTV will have it and most Ooh. cable packages will have it like in the 3000s. Gosh, mm-hmm. I almost want to find a way to just get that. That's pretty fantastic. Yeah. It is. Okay, I will we'll- say that, that uh, coming home from school in, as a second grader, I would uh, watch Next Generation on TV almost every day after school. That's when it aired. It was like the three or four o'clock hour. That's interesting. You know, I didn't get into Star Trek until I was probably in seventh grade, sixth or seventh grade. That's a Um, good time to get into it. It was a good, and so I never stopped, to be honest. I never had a period where I didn't want to watch it. I predominantly watched uh, Voyager, 
uh, at night. And then there was always uh, uh, a couple episodes of the original series, like when I got home from school and I would check that out. And then I remember when, was it the network TNN launched? This was before yes. it was Spike, right? And it was, it was the Nashville network. Yeah. It was like a country network, but then he switched over to being like sci-fi and stuff. Yeah. And they launched it in their, their, their main, one of the main shows that they got was the next generation. And that's mm-hmm. when I started watching that. And I remember on Fridays, there would be like, they would show four straight episodes of the next generation every Friday from like <laughs> seven to 11. And I would watch that. So that's kind of my experience. Before we get into strategy, let's, let's make some hot takes here. Favorite show, least favorite show. So I'll start, and, and it's, it's, maybe it's because it's the one I watched the most uh, when I started watching Star Trek. And I still, it's still the one where if I see an episode on, which is rare because I don't see it on anywhere, uh, it, mine's Voyager. I just, I like the whole story playing. Um, I like the interaction between the Maquis and the Starfleet officers. It wasn't always done 100% well. The writing wasn't always great. But I like the characters, and I like the story. I like them being lost in the Delta Quadrant and every week discovering something new. Uh, for my least favorite, I, just by, by you know, the fact that I haven't seen a lot of it, it's the original series. Um, I, I catch one every now and then. I haven't gone back and made a concerted effort to watch it, so I don't know how well it holds up. Uh, so that, that, that would be my you know, best and worst right now. So nostalgia pick, I got to go with Next Generation because that's what I started on. And for least favorite, I'm going to say Enterprise. Uh, I, I haven't seen that much of that one. I just didn't get into that series very much. Even though Scott Bakula is awesome. Yeah, no, agree. Scott Bakula, yeah, really wish he was able to do a little bit more with that role. My favorite is probably, it's probably Deep Space Nine. I think it has the most complex characters. I think its characters change over time more than any other, uh, other than maybe some of these newer uh, Star Trek shows, which the, the jury's still out on, but none uh, of the other uh, shows from the, the 90s. Um, my least favorite is probably, it's probably close. I'll probably lean Enterprise, especially the, 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 the first and the second season. They really started to do some cool things, season three, and, and kind of really at the end of season four, they were doing some real Star Trek-y stuff. Uh, and then they just, they, you know, it ended and it, it had a, it had probably the worst uh, season finale of any Star Trek series if you've ever seen it. Um, was it supposed to be the finale or was it canceled before that? It was the finale. It was the finale. But the, I don't know. I need to research it because they kind of put a bow on the end of it that made it mm-hmm. even more of a finale. Mm-hmm. And so I think, I think it maybe it wasn't supposed to be the finale, but then they had to write it kind of as they were approaching filming and they had to quickly set it up i i don't know but it wasn't it wasn't no it would it would you, you could watch it and be like oh yeah that's the last episode you're not like left with anything but it was just still bad yeah um, mm-hmm. so okay so draft talk here um strategies david so i didn't know what the actual uh format of this would be so i kind of looked into it like if i was staffing a ship with with uh you know bridge officers so if we're limited to five, uh, I'm going to have to think about, you know, if I'm going somewhere with five people, either, I guess, on a ship, maybe with an away mission, who, who would be most valuable to me in, in any scenario that might arise? So I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to do some thinking right now about uh, which five of these I'm going to want to take with. Hmm. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, I thought similar, though I, I wasn't kind of like 
I was more like, you know, if I don't pick a person in this position, I'm still going to have, like my ship's going to have that person. I'm just not calling out as somebody as I, I really need and I want to select them before somebody right. gets this particular person. But I think we're on the, we're kind of on the same page there. Mike, anything, anything different from your, from your chair? So looking at some of the characters, how they were written, they were intended to be foils for each other. And so I'm trying to compare personalities and make sure that I've got good fits between uh, my picks. No, that's a good point. Uh, when I was uh, working out some of my lists, I noticed a lot of my characters, though maybe they weren't from the same show, were almost a little too similar. Um, mm-hmm. And then I got into kind of a philosophical debate of, is that wrong? If they're even like, you know, they're mm-hmm. both really smart, you know, but do you really need the foil? So I don't know. I haven't really made up my mind yet. So we'll kind of see where that's where that goes. David, here on the on the pod, uh, the guest gets to pick their draft position. Uh, we do a snake, so it will go A, B, C, C, B, A, A, B, C. Knowing that, what, what lane, what position would you like to draft in? I'll take uh, B. Mike? I think I will go with number one this time. Okay. Uh, anybody got anything want to say, want to clear up before we start? I'm ready. Okay. Mike, you good? Let's dive into it. Yeah, let us know who is who is the number one character uh, that you would get to pick unrestricted by either of us uh, to have on your starship, and what do they do, and why are you picking them? So for my my team here, I want the heart to be the central figure. I want that to be the core of my team. So someone that leads with a lot of heart, and. For this person, they've actually had a little heart damage, but uh, they're one of the best leaders out there. And the fans loved him so much, got his own series. I'm going with Picard for my number one pick. From from the next generation, and then now has the Picard series on CBS uh, All Access. Uh, so Dave, one more thing. We do like to call out if somebody does do a straight steal of one of your picks. So he just stole mine. Picard was my number one captain. Uh, no surprise there. Did he steal yours, David? He did not. He did not. That's wow. Okay. That's interesting. Um, nope. That's a good. That's a good pick. I was gonna grab him if I went first. I was gonna grab him if somehow he slipped a three. Great, great pick. I mean, I think there's a lot of talk on the internet about who's the best captain. I don't think it's even close. I think it's Picard. I think Kirk is a, a bit of a wild man at times. And that's uh, why I didn't want to go with him because he is kind of hard to nail down and he does some crazy stuff. You know, you mentioned the heart damage and I just have to say that that episode of, of Next Generation was one of the best. Tapestry is, is a really good episode. I think it really explored a lot of things that, you know, we everyone thinks about in their past. And my question is, you know, how little would Picard card have to have done to only be a lieutenant junior grade science officer if he had made all those different decisions that was a great episode and i think it's a good pick yeah no that it was interesting to see uh in that episode picard in a green science uniform at the at the age of probably like 52 and he's like a yeah. second grade lieutenant it's <laughs> like man you shouldn't have gone career it's not happening for you um <laughs> Yeah, so Picard, first introduced right in Next Generation, uh, his backstory, right? The heart thing you mentioned, we know the Enterprise is his second command. He commanded the Stargazer uh, before that. I did, a, obviously, plenty of research beyond what I know. Uh, first contact with 27 different species. 
so that speaks a lot to what Starfleet thinks of him. Not to mention uh, the first and probably one of the most common uh, associations with the Q continuum. So if you see any of those episodes from either of the three series uh, after the original series, that's always a good one. And Gra- you know. Graduated at the top of his class, won the Academy Marathon as a, as a freshman. I always liked him because he's kind of the, the most accurate uh, and not incorrect assessment of a pacifist, right? He, he always wants to know the information. He always wants to know the why. Uh, he's kind of what some have described as an ideal boss, right? He meets with them in the ready room and more than any other captain, he doesn't speak as if he knows the answer and he's just trying to lead them there. He's actually genuinely asking what Riker and Worf and Geordi think. Uh, mm-hmm. And then he, he, uh, he moves forward with that. Uh, my favorite episodes with Picard, uh, Measure of a Man, when he fights for Data's rights as an android, and Drumhead, which is a great uh, courtroom drama on Star Trek, uh, where he uh, argues both against kind of xenophobia setting in and people kind of judging people by their, well, what is their, their species or their race, mm-hmm. uh, and then also defending uh, you know, due process and defendant's rights, that nobody's really guilty just by circumstance and just because some clues may happen to fit. So my favorite captain. Uh, so I think he's a great pick. Uh, we could spend a couple more minutes on him. I think he kind of deserves it. Mike, is there anything? Am I missing any big points for Picard? So one thing that I like about him too is I feel like he has the spirit of an explorer and they do so well at letting us see that. And there's a real joie de vivre in him. And we get to see his experiences and sometimes he has fun in the holodeck. I believe there's an episode where he's back in like the 1940s sometime earlier. Do you know which episode I'm talking about? Uh, there's, well, there's, there's one where he's, he, he does his favorite holodeck program is he's a detective. Uh-huh. Is, that, is it that one? Uh, I think that's what I'm thinking I forget of. Yeah. His name as the detective. Dang it. And there's a, there's a little homage to that in the movie first contact when he's evading the board, he goes into the holodeck and he, oh, yeah, run, that, he runs yeah. his program it's like mm-hmm. a Dick Tracy type of thing. I forget yep. what it's called, though. So that episode is called The Big Goodbye. Okay. That's what that, that one is. And uh, Dixon Hill. Yeah, that, that's what I thought. Yep. That's his detective name. And so, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of a gumshoe-style detective. Back. That's interesting. So, it's, it's, it, his character is almost very un-Picard. Yeah, that's, that's true. And so it's fun that uh, he likes to explore these other avenues and ways of thinking and then uh, knows his history. I feel like that's important. Yes, uh, he does have, yeah, he's very, uh, he's very mindful of historical context, societal context. Mm-hmm. He's one of the more delicate leaders. Um, I, you know, I, I don't want to get political, but uh there's no way people would confuse Picard with some of the leaders in this country right now. And, uh, and uh, if you want to look for a foil to some of those, those leaders, just watch some Picard episodes. Uh, I'm just going to call out one more episode that as I was looking uh, that I really love and I watch a lot, it's first duty and it's about a flight accident at Starfleet Academy and Picard kind of uncovers how it went down and he really hammers home uh, the uh, the message that the most important thing that you can do is adhere to truth. 
and that uh, wherever the chips fall after that, um, it's just most important to be truthful. So, David, now, any, uh, go ahead. Yeah. Um, speaking of episodes, we really like, you know, really highlight Picard. I, one of my favorite and maybe one of my, my favorite Star Trek episode of all time is Inner Light. And I just think, you know, the, the, the heart that Patrick Stewart plays them with in this episode, you know, just the, the whole the story of this episode to have Picard, you know, kind of sucked into this probe where he lives out a lifetime before being returned to the bridge of the Enterprise. Um, and then seeing him go back into his office and they bring him the flute that he played in the episode and, and he holds it just thinking about the lifetime he led while he was basically knocked out by this by this probe. I, I think we see a, a lot of the, the inner demons Picard has, the his family history. He never had family of his own. and just he, he only had other family. He had, I know in... Um, was the beginning? Which movie was it that he gets word that his? I think his nephew dies. Generations. I, his his generations, nephew and yeah. his and his brother die in the fire. I think a fire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah, the inner light was one of the greatest episodes, and it's pretty much it was a Picard episode. So yeah, we could go on and on with Picard, uh, which I think it's all right that we went a little longer than usual because there's definitely probably going to be some characters toward the end that we probably don't have as much. Um, uh, substantial uh, information on so great first pick uh, Michael don't think we're surprised it's almost not even worthy of a steal but we'll give it to you um, so <laughs> David thank you uh, number two Picard was not on your list so then this is by default your most important character that you're drafting so who is it so like I said going in I- I'm thinking of I'm going out to do something with this crew and I- I'm gonna go captain first as well it kind of sounds really like focusing like, on the t- like you're in a gang or something. You, you're taking your crew out. I'm, I'm going taking out my crew, crew out. I, all the captains in Star Trek, from Kirk and Picard, have have dealt with whole host of issues through all the series and the episodes. But I think two captains in particular have dealt with really harsh circumstances. And I think for me, those are Janeway and Cisco. Janeway being flung all the way to the Delta Quadrant, having no resources, no backup dealing with a crew that half of them aren't even Starfleet, you know, enlisted people or officers. They were actually, you know, resistance freedom fighters that don't want to be there. So integrating that crew, just exploring an entire uncharted part of space while the whole time trying to get her crew home and keep it together, I think is good. And then I think Benjamin Sisko in Deep Space Nine, um, you know, a change from the whole Star Trek uh, usual script putting him on a space station dealing with the aftermath of um, the Cardassian occupation of Bajor and then dealing with the Dominion war and dealing not just with hostile aliens and, and, and managing his Federation crew, but with the Bajorans on the station um, with the Ferengi with, with, with the wormhole that opens up right there. I, I'm going with Benjamin Sisko as my pick for the captain. I just think he showed throughout that series. He dealt with a lot of complicated issues I think in a lot of situations, he, he really had to do a, a lot of harsh things and thought deeply about it. But when he made a decision, he stuck with it. He was firm. He was strong. And I think in a lot of situations where you would be a, you know, leading a Starfleet team, you would need that, those characteristics he brings to it. So I, I'm going with Benjamin Sisko for my pick, number one, and as my captain. Yeah, solid pick here. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a pretty good decent Benjamin Sisko fan. Uh, I think a lot of that attributes, like you said, to kind of the world he's set into. Uh, He's not the commander of a starship. He's the commander of a space station, which in itself is less militaristic than a starship, especially Deep Space Nine, because it's home to 
the large Bajoran population. There's a lot of Cardassian influence. So he's more of like a mayor of a city. So he has to be a little more careful with the decisions he makes because it, 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 yeah. it affects a much larger public non-Starfleet population. And then, like you said, he deals with the Dominion War. He's on the front lines there. Uh, you didn't also mention he is the kind of de facto religious... Uh, yeah, the- did you say that? No, but yeah, he is like the, the emissary, uh, right? The emissary, right? So yeah. sort of like the, uh, what's the for word? The for the Bajorans. For the Bajorans. Not yeah. a savior, but more of a prophet. A prophet, a prophet almost, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so he, he kind of straddles that line, as well as like a very mismatched, pulled together crew of Starfleet and Bajorans and right. civilians. So I think after Picard, uh, it's going to be close. I didn't, this is not my backup captain, but um, I really can't refute it. Mike, what do you think? Strong pick, strong reasoning. Yeah, I like it. I will say, Janeway, uh, which you mentioned is sort of sound like your second place captain. Would you have picked Janeway if somebody took Cisco? I mean, if, some, if I was third and someone took Cisco, it, it's hard to pick Janeway with Kirk still out there, but I, I was thinking in it, Picturing myself in different situations that Star Trek haven't signed themselves in, I give Janeway a lot more credit than a lot of people do. Um, I, I know there are a lot of uh, negative opinions out there of her, but I, I liked her through most of Voyager. But, you know, I'm, I'm happy to hear other opinions on, on Catherine Janeway. Yeah, I, I think Janeway is one of the better characters on the show. I, I, you know, you mentioned you said Voyager was kind of your favorite. It's tough to call, it's not my least favorite. I just have a lot of problems with that show and they're not necessarily, they're not really because of Janeway. So I, I don't hate the pick. I just don't have a, I have a sort of a sour taste in my mouth for Voyager. I think that show has the least identity of itself. It's almost like Deep Space Nine had this very kind of character development. Everybody's from a unique background and you so you can tell it as soon as they walk in the room. Even though like the Maquis were, were, were absorbed into the Voyager crew, at a certain point, it just looks like a Starfleet crew. Um, there's no yeah. underlying I mean, fighting after like a season or two. And that's um, something that that's a, that's a split that you're right. The writing could have let continue to go for seasons and let that that dynamic really you know play into some good storylines but they kind of just okay they're a big crew now and every so often they bring it up but it you know that was something they kind of dropped the ball the writers did on, on continuing that that story arc for the crew yeah the other thing uh just to real quick is i, I don't think they really did anything well with harry kim balana or or tom paris uh, I think those characters were pretty much put to the side. And then Chakotay, I think, was a... It ages poorly now more than ever. Overly Native American. And in my research, uh, that's not to say that's... I'm saying that they hit it way too hard on the head. And from what I understand, I did some research, the Native American... What do you call it on the set? Advisor? Advisor or? was actually a fake Native American. Oh, really? The guy was discovered actually to, to, to not be Native American. Uh, and he had like claimed he was for decades. And so, I, you know, that whole thing, uh, you know, I wish they would have had a better Native American character on the show. I think the only good characters on that show were probably Tuvok, the doctor and Janeway. But that being said, I don't think Janeway is a bad part of that show. But so anyway, I don't want to take away from Cisco. I think Cisco was probably the better, the better pick there. Well, with that said, give us your first pick. All right. So I'm going to do a little strategy here, right? Y'all have your captains. So I'm not going to pick my captain now. I, I really don't think I need to. I think I'm going to go with uh, an oldie. When we're talking about a crew, 
right? We're talking about a team of people, of individuals that what? That man a ship, right? A mechanical ship. What is necessary to complete the mission? A working ship, right? If it don't go, you're not getting there, right? So we need somebody that can keep the turbines running, right? So I'm picking no one other than Montgomery Scott, Scotty, as my chief engineer, known throughout Starfleet, both during his time and later centuries as the miracle worker known to be able to execute refits, repairs, and rehauls by reducing the time needed for other engineers by a factor of four. So uh, Scotty rose to the rank of captain, but always stayed an engineer, Uh, never really commanded anything. That's kind of where he was comfortable. Uh, He was second officer on the Enterprise, uh, the original uh, Constitution class Enterprise uh, during the original series. And uh, I think during Wrath of Khan, he has some big engineering scenes and very emotional scenes. Um, Later on in the movies, he's kind of there, almost a little goofy sometimes, but uh, there's no doubt that he knows his way around a uh, plasma drill and a, uh, you know, do whatever hickey. Uh, Mont- Montgomery Scott, uh, one of the is, most famous engineers in all of Starfleet history. You were mentioning all the all the properties he comes up in. Is, it, is there an episode of Next Generation where he's stuck in a tr- in a in a transport buffer and it, it reappears? Is that Next Generation or is that something else? That's Next Generation. Uh, he yes. Yeah, so Next Generation famously. Uh, because it was not so far removed from the original series as the right. other shows, was able to get three guest appearances from the original cast. One of them was, yes, Montgomery Scott crashed his ship like on the way to retirement um, mm-hmm. on a what's called a Dyson Sphere. Dyson Sphere, which I think is actually a theoretical thing in the real world, but obviously not real, but theoretical. Or it's where way. they build vacuums, I don't know. I suppose, but they build this like uh, planetary surface around a sun and the surface is on the inside of the the building. And that's kind of how it works. But he crashed it on there and he froze himself in a self-sustained transporter, like you said, pattern. And then whatever, 80 years later, the Enterprise D comes along and, Mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, it's a good episode. Uh, Relics is the episode and uh, relics. relics. And uh, he has a tough time adjusting because at a certain point, you know, you can't relearn everything. Technology has changed so much, um, but he kind of comes to right. term with that. And, and then we see that just his, his, his kind of basic understanding of scientific principles allows him to kind of save the day there at the end. Famously not Scottish, uh, James, right. James Doohan, right, I believe is Canadian, uh, Irish Canadian. Uh, and from what I understand, his accent is pretty inaccurate. <laughs> which is what you know i think simon Pegg, when he when he re- uh, kind of took the role of scotty in the movies uh try to get did his best to do his uh you know as, a, as an englishman do a do a bad scottish accent so. mm. i think out of all the position officers this one's probably up there in the what i would call the top two of necessary uh, i'll be pretty disappointed if if neither of y'all have engineers uh we'll probably beat you to the mission so <laughs> at that rate what do you think of the simon Pegg depiction of scotty i like how the the scotty character uh is written a lot closer to kirk in the first kind of episode that's kind of how i mean the first movie right that's how he kind of finds him 
I don't know. It, it, it doesn't feel like the same type of Scotty that was in the original series. Um, that Scotty was uh, not cocky, but proud, sturdy. In several situations, like I said, he was the third officer. I mean, sorry, the second officer. So he would take command of the Enterprise on many occasions when uh, both Kirk and Spock were somewhere else. Uh, and that's not really the persona that the Simon Pegg Scotty gives off. He gives off a, a little, little bit more of a frantic uh, fixer which mm-hmm. he's good at, right? Mm-hmm. He's finding a solution. He's kind of panicky. That wasn't really what Scotty was doing. But to fairness, that's kind of how he was towards the end of the uh, original series movies. Uh, he was a little bit more of a, what? Well, how can we do that? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so the character itself kind of evolved over time, I guess. Yeah. So yeah, Scotty, that's my first pick. Uh, Number one pick. Wow. Yeah. Well, I, you know, you want to go captain, but you know what? I think my captain's secure. So I, I'm not, I'm not concerned. I, I thought Scotty had a chance to get taken. Uh, if you're going to draft engineers, um, I really think there's only maybe one other, possibly two, but I don't want to risk it that you could really pick. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm going to move on to my second pick. Oh boy. It's getting tough. I'm going to go, I might surprise y'all with this one, but uh, I'm going a little quirky here. I'm going to pick my security chief. Uh Uh-oh, here Um, we go. You got to, you got to keep, you got to run a tight ship, uh, both internally and externally, right? We know that these, Mm -hmm. uh, these starships get into sticky situations. So when it comes to security, uh, I want somebody that can, uh, you know, fight the bad guys, find the bad guys, control the bad guys, put them in jail, keep them in jail, uh, but also kind of solve some problems, solve some uh, security issues. Uh, I think I know where you're going with this one. Yeah. So, and, and, and I want somebody who has just not the innate ability of a security chief, but I want somebody that has some own, his own special powers here. <laughs> uh, sleeping in a bucket, maybe. You're sleeping in a bucket. I mean, you sleep. Everybody's got downtime. What you do <laughs> off off your eight hour shift is your own business. I'm going with Constable Odo from Deep Space Nine, uh, the famous famous constable shapeshifter. Uh, he is a shapeshifter. You, uh, he probably has, in my opinion, the most development on that show as a character, uh, mm-hmm. maybe other than Benjamin to some degree, but. Constable Odo starts off as a harsh, cold, letter of the law security chief on the station. He is a shapeshifter, so there's no doubt he can use that ability to to find people, to fight people, uh, to perform his duties. He, above all, believes in justice. There's a quote I think I pulled here where... He told Cisco one time, laws change depending on who's making them, but justice is justice. Uh, he famously, right, was the constable during the Kardashian uh, occupation of the station um, before uh, the Federation turned over. Um, he leads and sides with the Bajorans um, and leads Bajoran security officers. Um, and he reports and serves uh, Starfleet Command in many situations. So his drive for seeking out justice is paramount to sides, which I think is what you need in sort of a uh, a security officer. He almost has the persona of a of what you would conceive to be a very fair judge. If they're wrong, they're wrong. If they're guilty, they're guilty. You know, he's been known to put in the brig his own 
you know, crew members just to be safe, you know, even though he knows he's got to do his job. So I don't think there's anybody more fitting to be a security chief than uh, Odo. And his non-organic state provides their own advantages. Like I said, he's a shapeshifter, very easy to adapt to weaponry that's fired at him and whatnot. So I think he's already has a, a tactical advantage over a lot of people. So that is my second pick, Constable Odo, as my chief of security. So you mentioned his arc, and you know one of the things is at the beginning of Deep Space Nine, he doesn't even know, you know what species he comes from, right? And he we mm-hmm. realized through the through the through the series that he's he's a changeling as part of the Dominion, this this race that is coming to try to exterminate the people that that he works with on Deep Space Nine. So I think that's a great part of his uh, story arc, and I think it's also worth highlighting that you know played by the great. Rene, I'm going to mispronounce his last name, who just died, sadly, very recently. He played Odo great. Yeah, I like he's not Starfleet, so he's going to run the station the way he sees that it needs to be run. He's going to manage things, you know, without some of that uh, Starfleet rigidity that sometimes you see with uh, Starfleet officers. Um, and, and very similar to Cisco, he has to deal with all the different back and forth that happens on Deep Space Nine. And, and deal with all the different people and factions and conflicts that are going on in that station. But like you said, keeping that sense of justice and fairness and neutrality as he, as he deals with all that. So he, he's a very good pick, and, and I, I think he would make a great security officer on, on, a, on a Starfleet crew. Mike, any opinion? No? No, not really. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no opinion at all. No, I, I don't remember enough of Deep Space Nine. Ooh, you're I, missing, you're yeah. missing out. You are missing out. You're missing out on some serious character development, some fun episodes. I don't think there's as many fun episodes in Star Trek and all the other series as there are on Deep Space Nine. Just all now, these quirky it, characters put together. It's almost easier to write that show without mm-hmm. being too preachy because there's mm-hmm. more, they're more realistic people. I, I started with that one. Is it still on Netflix? Uh, it's on Prime and Hulu. Let's so. Well, thanks for asking that, Michael. Just for me and for everyone else out there, where can we see these series right now? I mean, are they all available on platforms, or what? What are we talking about? So, to my knowledge, the Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager, which all kind of feel like a similar show in mm-hmm. production, they're available on Hulu and Amazon Prime all okay. season. Might do some Google in here and, and put a, a sound bite in the front end to let everybody know. But I think think TOS is on Hulu and I think Enterprise might be on Amazon Prime as well. But I don't think the animated series is anywhere, which is kind of they've kind of marked that as uncannon. It, it was on Netflix. It was? Huh. It was. Oh, you know yeah. what? The shows might be on Netflix too. They've gone in and out of Netflix. Right. They've and been, and They've been pretty steady on, on Prime for at least two or three years. And that's how I watch them most of these on Netflix. But you're right. They do go on and off. Yeah. So there we go. That's my first. I got my engineering and my security lockdown. Those were kind of the two departments. I think you really need to be more careful when hiring or appointing uh, personnel. So that's why I made sure to grab those guys. I am up next. Um you know, you mentioned command, you mentioned engineering, but I really think, you know, if we're going into any kind of mission, things can go wrong, people can get hurt, and I think a doctor is really necessary on any crew, because you don't know, you know, you might get marooned somewhere, you might encounter a race of aliens with weaponry that causes wounds you don't understand. So I, I, I'm going to pick a doctor right here, and I'm going to pick uh, my favorite doctor in, in the Star Trek universe, 
and that is the emergency medical hologram from Star Trek Voyager. You know, you were mentioning uh, the, the character arc that Odo went on in Deep Space Nine. I think the Doctor goes on probably the best character arc of anyone on Voyager during that series. Uh, he starts out at just a computer program that gets no respect or recognition from the crew. He is only called in the service because Voyager um, loses its medical officer as it is thrust into the Delta Quadrant. And let me, let me just highlight, I'm only picking him if he can bring his mobile emitter with him because I think it's necessary <laughs> for him to be able to go on any away missions. So this is post-mobile emitter emergency medical hologram. You know, first off, before getting to his character development, he, he has an entire encyclopedic knowledge of Federation medical information. Um, we, we see time and time again in Voyager of, of him just solving medical issues with all these alien races the Federation has never encountered. So I think that, that, that breadth of knowledge brings something to the crew. Now... Early on in the series, his bedside manner is, is, is kind of an issue, and I think that's one of the, the developing arcs through the whole series. As he starts getting more respect from the crew, you start seeing him delve into his humanity. Maybe not as well as they do Data in The Next Generation, but I still think it's, it's, it's quite good. His interactions with Seven of Nine as these two beings that aren't really fully human lead some really good stories in, in Voyager. And I think just his exploration of his humanity, you know, trying to pick a name, trying to enjoy art and music, um, I think really make him a, a more human uh, hologram and really would lead him to better serve a crew during a, a mission. So I, I, I am picking the emergency medical hologram from Voyager as my chief medical officer for my crew. Nice. I think that's a strong pick as well. I read a, a list of ranked doctors and uh, they described a lot of the things you did when uh, listing off his positives. Yes. So this is a, this is a straight steal for me. This was my doctor. Um, I, I think you're right. I think the, the doctor character is by far the best character on the show. It's the most developed character starts off as a, and I think they, it was easy. It was almost laid out there for them to do that because he's, he's just a simple program, but mm -hmm. since he has to be used nonstop, he kind of develops a personality. He's a holographic doctor with no staff and has to kind of, he's only, he was only created to facilitate emergency situations and in, in right. rare occurrence. And now he's a full-time doctor. Um, I did a little research. Uh, his full actual program is the uh, emergency medical holographic program AK1 Diagnostic and Surgical Subroutine Omega 323, designed by Louis Zimmerman, who was also played by Robert Picardo, yeah, Robert Picardo. Um, who's a great actor and is in a lot of uh, science fiction series. He had a yes. pretty substantial, not substantial, he had a minor role in the Stargate series that I really enjoyed. What I like about the doctor and what I find uh, funny and frustrating is that he seems the most progressive idealistic human on a crew or, you know, with humans or, 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 or organic life forms, he's into opera. He's into photography. He's yeah. into hollow writing, right? Ho writing holodeck programs. Um, he's into all these things. He's not into like joking with Tom and Harry and, and stupid mm -hmm. programs or, or, or whatever, fighting with Balana or, you know, whatever, meditating with Tuvok and Chakotay. Uh, he does all the things that you would want to do. You would tell yourself you would want to do if you, if you had the opportunity. So kind of that idealistic person. He's kind of, he's definitely my favorite character on the show. So, and you're right, skill in the sense that he is a program. He can, you know, be kind of uploaded with a lot of information and stuff like that. And, and most of my kind of favorite episodes usually revolve the doctor. There's one that I don't know the name of it. Maybe you know it, but it starts off where, 
he finds this photograph of a crewman that isn't on the ship. Yes, and yes, nobody, that's a really good episode. Really good episode. That's I don't a wanna, really good episode. Don't want to spoil it. I'll look for the episode name, but that's probably my favorite uh, Doctor episode. And he does some great acting in that one. And unlike a lot of serialized Star Trek episodes, it doesn't end on such a positive note. So No, no. That's, uh, that's a really good episode. Um, I There's some episodes. There's one where he basically almost leaves the ship to go move to an alien world because they love his singing so much. Yep. And he, he loves singing. And like we said, he loves arts and he's very human in that regard. And then, you know, at the, at the last second, the, this alien species just, just build a newer, better hologram that sings. And he realizes that, that those aliens didn't like him for his humanity. And he comes back to the ship where he feels more appreciated. But yeah, the, the, the episode you mentioned about the, well, the picture is an excellent episode. It's one of the best. You know, I said Voyager was one of my, maybe my favorite of the Star Treks. The Doctor was, you know, by far, I think, the best character on that show. And he uh, really, all the episodes where he's a, a focus are, are really good. And then I don't know if you noticed, but I put his real name up there. Oh, the one he picks that, the, that we find here, right? Uh, the, the whole series, right? He, he yeah. goes by Doctor or Doc. Um, and yeah. he's always toying with names. And he, he pulls out some, like, you know, German scientists, you know, yeah. Schweitzer or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And, uh, and then at the, the last episode, which there's a flash forward, whatever, like yeah. 30 years and he's at a party and he introduces his wife and the, and the wife introduces him or whatever, cause he's married now and his name is Joe. And the, job, kind of, yep. the gag is it took him, you know, whatever, 45 years to come to up, come with, up with, with, Joe. With, with Joe as his name. So his, his, now his name is, is Joe. Latent Image is the episode. Latent Image. A great mystery uh, as well as a really good kind of human episode. It really uh, is. So, Mike, you got two coming up here. Uh, <laughs> you had an easy, a softball pick in round one, so this is where we're really going to judge you. Okay. Since David picked his doctor and you said that was a steal, I'm going to go ahead and take my doctor this round. So I am going to pick Dr. Beverly Crusher. Wow. So Dr. Crusher, and what I'm hoping, what comes with this pick. No, you do not get, you do not get Wesley Jean- Crusher. You do not get Wesley <laughs> Crusher. So in my mind, her son is coming along. Uh, it, <laughs> in a few years, he'll join the engineering group. Anyway. Right, well, well, Odo gets the entire Great Lake. <laughs> <laughs> All the changelings are with him. Go ahead. Okay. Well, Dr. Crusher... So reason I'm picking her over some other doctors, she's got probably the best bedside manner and she is one of those calming voices and can deal with the captain and speak up when she needs to. She's dealt with various viruses that have broken out on the ship and healed people. Uh, one reason why I didn't want to go with bones so in in my research, I saw that uh, he's probably uttered the phrase "he's dead" more than any other doctor. <laughs> so I wanted someone that's uh, got a good history of saving people. So Doctor Crusher's definitely succeeded more than he has, and uh, she went on to be the head of the uh, medical academy, and then uh, came back to Enterprise. She is a renowned doctor and uh, is very good at her job. Great doctor, as far as I can tell. You're right. They don't have as many deaths on the Enterprise D (laughs) as they do on the original Enterprise um, or the Enterprise A. 
And uh, you know what I found interesting about her? You know, they always make something unique about the doctor. It's always kind of the thing. You know, the doctor can always need to be a little bit different. I think it's because, you know, Star Trek and Starfleet kind of has this military persona and you kind of want doctors not to seem so militaristic. So she's in a lab coat a lot of times. You notice that? I found mm-hmm. that interesting. She's in a green uh, lab coat. I kind of like that. Um, so not like high praises there for the character, but I thought that was kind of cool. Um, little backstory, right? You talked about Wesley Crusher, her son, who goes on to be sort of a scientific genius and, and has a, a narrative that almost is kind of confusing because they don't actually finish it out and we don't even really know where he is. Mm-hmm. But her husband, right, was killed on a mission. Jack Crusher. Jack Crusher, right, thank you, uh, was killed on a mission commanded by Jean-Luc Picard years mm-hmm. ago. And it was him who had to deliver the the message and the body at a star base or something and he met her and her son and whatever so they have a bit of history um and you can kind of see that connection in the series a little bit sometimes i was i was going to mention that uh, of all the you know what i remember from next generation is that it seemed like of all the people picard had a very i don't want to say equal footing relationship with crusher but it was almost like he, he trusted her a whole lot mm-hmm. he was always very frank with her took her advice uh, to heart so it, it, i'm glad you mentioned that backstory because that really brings a lot of things in the focus about their relationship over the over the show i don't crusher think they, was on the stargazer so that's but i don't know if was that i don't know if that i thought i read that like he had a mission somewhere else and he had to come tell him it was it, it was an away mission and they said okay that, uh, Picard had to choose the life of his friend over someone he didn't care as much about, which was Jack. Oh, is there an episode where this is all hashed out? Or I always felt that it was kind of piecemealed together several like times throughout the series. I, yeah, I only found this through reading. Okay. Um, I don't think there's an episode where it's purely dedicated. I know there's an episode where somebody's like a kid on the ship's uh, father or mother, their mother dies in an away mission. And Wesley talks to the kid and about how his dad died. And they bring in Picard and, and Worf, who was commanding the mission when this woman died. And they kind of talk about how, you know, you're mad at Worf, just like I was mad at Picard because he's the bearer of bad news. But I don't think there was really an episode where they fully explained um here we are talking of a great female doctor and we're talking about her, her husband a little bit more. Let's switch gears back to, to Beverly here. Yeah. I mean, great, great doctor. Uh, you know what I liked about the next generation? Uh, the nurse was also in all the movies. She's in, you know, the sick bay with Crusher and she's usually, you know, operating and doing whatever with Crusher, but she's also in movies. Um, just usually a scene or two. Anything else on Crusher? I mean, I, I, great doctor. Obviously, it's on the flagship of the Federation, so you would think it would be their top-notch doctor, and it certainly seems that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's all I've got. David, yeah. any comments? You know, I, I need to go back and watch more Next Generation, but they crush, I mean, Beverly is a, is a great doctor. She has the trust of, you know, one of the great captains in, in the Federation and Starfleet, so... Um, I think she's not going to let you down if you take her on your crew. So I think that's a good pick. Okay. All right, Mike, roll on to your third pick. All right. For my third pick, I'm going to try to pick someone uh, that is going to act as the voice of reason. Not that Picard, Picard's pretty level-headed, but again, sometimes he can lead with his heart. And so I'm trying to pick someone that's very logical and then at the same time, not pick a solely next generation cast here. So 
I'm going to go with Spock. Oh. So Spock is going to be my first officer. We get to see a lot of different sides of Spock and spoilers. Uh, he is in Discovery. And I feel like we get some backstory on him in that series that we haven't seen uh, before. And we get to see him with the beard, which is pretty cool. <laughs> so he's half human, uh, half Vulcan. And so he does have the emotions of a human, but they're suppressed, right? And so he tries to lead with his logical side, but then at the same time, he can relate to humans better than other Vulcans in, that we see. Mm-hmm. So I feel like he's able to think things through from both sides. And that's going to be important, just helping the captain make decisions. And he's uh, proven that he's, he's pretty great with tactics and he's uh, helpful on away missions. So I think he's a great first officer. Uh, yes, uh, great first officer. Uh, I just want to talk a couple things, right? When, you're ha- when you have a Vulcan in your, uh, in your command staff, right? So you already get some elevated abilities, especially on away missions, right? Vulcan neck pinch, right? So he's going <laughs> to be able to help sneak around. The famous Vulcan neck pinch, you know, a Vulcan can hit certain points on your shoulder and make you pass out immediately. A uh, second thing, right? Mind meld. Uh, which I think we see at least in a movie or two, if you haven't watched the series, but essentially a Vulcan can place his hands on your face and he can meld your minds and you can see his thoughts and he can see your thoughts and they use that. It's typically only done under the consent of the uh, the mind melder, though mm-hmm. there have been situations where Spock has done it kind of kind of broken the rules in order to serve what he thought was an important purpose. So I just want to call those out some biological benefits to having a Vulcan on your staff. Now with a Vulcan, you also have to hope that oh. at the time you need them, you don't, they're not going through pond far every seven years where they're just almost useless to you for quite a while. Uh, that. <laughs> That's very true. You might be their best friend, but they might just kill you because... like during that 14 day span or whatever because of their, their hormones going crazy and their need to mate. Um, now, Michael, let me ask you a question. I think Spock played a very good foil, not foil, but a, a very good, you know, yin to the yang of, of Kirk in the right. series. How do you think he, he interacts with Picard? Uh, how do you think, how do you see their relationship going as a first officer and a captain? Yeah. And so that would be fun to see on the screen. It is going to be a much different dynamic. Um, I feel like he's not going to have, such an opposing view to Picard as much as he does with Kirk. So there's probably going to be a lot, a lot less conflict between the two of them. And then at the same time, I'm hoping that he can bring in data and help bring knowledge to the situation, Mm -hmm. Uh, much like the data character. But then I didn't, again, want to pick all TNG crew. Here's my thing. David brings up a good point here. Jean-Luc Picard having Spock as his first officer, it almost feels like he's picking a yes man because you feel like they're on the same side of the coin in most situations. And I don't know if Spock would be a great first officer for a man like Picard. He certainly is perfect for a man like Kirk. Probably pretty good for a man like Sisko or maybe even Archer. But Picard and Janeway, that are a little more tempered in their, in their responses and everything, I don't think he provides the same kind of benefit to those commanding officers as other ones. So that's just kind of my, uh, my kind of thought there. 
no doubt of a, a value to have the legendary Spock uh, on your uh, crew, though. And of course, his most famous uh, moment, the death scene in Wrath of Khan, uh, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one, oh, no. probably the, the best the best Star Trek death on record, in my opinion. And I think there's something to be said that, you know, you could make the argument that Spock is the most famous Star Trek character to the general public that, uh, that came out of Star Trek canon. So I think that, that, that shows that the character really resonates with a lot of levels with a lot of people, especially like the non-fans. That's something they recognize immediately is his logic, his lack of emotion, and things like that. Mm-hmm. What I really liked about the Spock character, I guess, was that they kept going deeper and they've gone deeper into him uh, and his character every series and every few movies. And they pull out some nuggets that they write and sometimes they're bad. Cybok from Final Frontier, just a, a waste of a movie to say I have a half brother and he's this like religious zealot. (laughs) But uh, his arc in The Next Generation, Unification Part 1 and Part 2, have y'all seen that? Which which episode? So this is a great, this this applies directly to Michael's pick here. Unification Mm -hmm. Part 1, Part 2, Spock Mm -hmm. goes to Romulus to try and start the unification of Romulus and Vulcan because they are ancestrally bound. Yep. And he has a lot of scenes with Picard. And it's just interesting because, you know, Spock is this, he's kind of Starfleet royalty. And Spock's kind of, I mean, Picard's kind of uh, in awe of him. Um, so if maybe watching that episode, we might get a better feel for how those two interact. But uh, yeah. Uh, and then later on in, uh, it's no surprise uh, if you don't want a spoiler for Discovery, it's not really a spoiler, but just turn off for 15 seconds. Uh, Michael Burnham from Discovery is Spock's adopted sister. So they have a, a lengthy past and uh, interesting relationship. Very human relationship since she's human. So, And okay, and we're back. Uh, anything else on Spock, guys? I think we've covered Spock. Okay, David, you have your doctor and your, and your captain. So who's coming up next? So I have to do go strategic now, seeing that you have your engineer, you have your security chief so i think i have to go with first officer and i think with spock off the board and with cisco as my captain i'm gonna have to go with william Riker from next generation as the first officer for benjamin cisco i think you know Riker is this quintessential starfleet officer uh he pairs well with picard but i think he would pair well with a lot of of captains throughout Starfleet. Cisco can be a serious, firm captain. I think Riker brings a little more fun to, to the bridge, uh, a little more exuberance. And, I, and it has to be post-beard Riker. I think that's when he really starts to develop as a character. We see a lot more growth in him. And you know, any, any first officer that's willing to, to fire upon his captain for the good of his ship, uh, I, I think is one that, that I would like to have on my crew. So I'm going with William Riker as my first officer. So you're speaking, of course, uh, what's the episode where Jean-Luc best Picard, of, uh, best of best, both, best worlds. both worlds, worlds, yeah, where Jean-Luc Picard's been assimilated. The end of part one, yes, part Jean-Luc part Picard one, yep. simulated by the board, now leading the board in an attack against the Federation. New territory for Starfleet. Uh, Riker commands the Enterprise with great prestige and does not only 
fire upon the Borg commanded by Picard, but eventually leads a rescue team to get Picard back. To get Picard back. Yeah, great pick. I think I've 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 read and I I don't know if I quite agree. He's definitely in my top two first officers of all time. What I liked about the next generation is that they wrote it a little more realistic to probably a naval ship in the sense mm-hmm. that if you remember in the original series, away missions were always Kirk and Spock and maybe the doctor. The and you're like, if that mission fails, <laughs> you've lost your two commanding officers. Officers, why are they both um, there? <laughs> and so in the next generation, fun to kind of watch. And you, Picard never leaves the ship on the vast majority of episodes. I don't think he leaves the ship until like halfway through season two for a mission. Yeah, um, very true to form. It's the way it should be, right? It, right. That right. seems a lot more realistic. Exactly. And so Riker was kind of the guy, the boots on the ground, but he also did some great stuff when Picard was out of action for whatever reason. Number one is what he's called, right? Picard refers to Riker as number one. Number one. Set a course for whatever. Is that a colloquial phrase in Star Trek for like first officers or, or your your first friend? Or is that something he, he was really just naming Will? Does any, do either of y'all know? You know I what I'm talking I, about, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I would guess that it refers to the fact that he's first officer, but okay. I don't, I don't know. I, I never heard of that in our society. So I didn't know if like they came up with that for Star Trek, but it's supposed to exist in the Star Trek world. Yeah, I don't, I, I have not heard of that being a, a, like a, a something that happens on naval ships, but it, it could very well be. I'm not sure though. Yeah, I don't know. Because they do use it in Discovery. I'm I'm assuming as homage to so insinuating that it does exist in the Star Trek world across, you know, it's not just Will Riker. So take it for what it's worth, but you know, the, our fabulous internet would like to tell us that it goes back to the days of sail where the first lieutenant uh would be the first of the ship's officers below the captain. Oh. Number one. But there that's from some random guy on the internet, so I don't know. Well, well, some uh, interesting facts about Riker here that I, I actually just kind of pulling off the top of my head, so correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, offered command of his own ship, I think twice during the next yeah, generation. multiple times. And yes. turned it down. Obviously turned it down because the writers didn't want to lose the character. And it was always portrayed as that debate of, would you rather command your own ship if it's a smaller, less important ship, not doing as many interesting stuff? Or would you rather be on the most important flagship of the fleet but you're only second in command was always kind of the debate. Uh, what do y'all fall? What would you have done if you were Riker on those first or two? Um, you know, they're offering you this little tiny science vessel or whatever to go over to like the beta quadrant and record gaseous anomalies. What would you do? I mean, I think if you're Riker and you're on, you know, the flagship of the fleet serving under probably the great, the greatest captain of our, of our time, you, you do that for as long as you can and you don't pass that. You, you don't give that up until Starfleet makes you a big enough offer that you can't turn it down. So I, I, I certainly see why he would turn, you know, multiple times turn down a command of his own to remain on the Enterprise under John Luke Picard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, does anybody know uh, he would eventually did command a ship? He left after Star Trek Nemesis, uh, and he's in a pretty decently selling book series about those missions. He's on the Titan, the USS Titan, Titan. and he did take his wife, Deanna Troy, and she is the counselor on the Titan. The count Star yeah, Trek when, allowed them. When are y'all? Uh, when are y'all drafting your counselors? By the way, because <laughs> five people. I don't know if a counselor makes the cut. Yeah, I uh, I, I sense this. I sense that. <laughs> uh, okay, so I will finish up our round three. I just want to call something out here. 
I'm going to draft some officers, but I'm not really sure, sure who's actually going to be the first officer. I'm kind of going with the original series take here where the first officer doesn't have to be dedicated first officer. He could be a mm. position officer, but it's just like you said, the first officer. He's the second in command just by rank. I'm not picking a specific first officer, but if I need to, if y'all guys want me to, I will, I will call one of these guys my first officer. So, okay, I am going to go next here. I am torn here, and I'll go ahead and call him out. I'm torn between Data and his Android ability to calculate um, and execute numbers and you know math and pull up files and records at lightning speed, as well as his Android strength, famously the operations officer, third in command of the Enterprise-D. And then I'm also toying with Seven of Nine from Voyager. Again, a very scientific person, very capable, kind of sky's the limit. I think I'm going to go with Seven of Nine from Voyager as my next pick. I just think... Interesting background, obviously, Mm -hmm. assimilated by the Borg, spent whatever, like 20 years with the Borg, comes out of the Borg and is, you know, brought into the Voyager crew and kind of does not fit in well, but is super intelligent, Um, you know, develops the astrometrics lab, does most of the scientific uh, research on Voyager. And of course, later, uh, that character... I'll go real light here, no real spoilers, but she does appear in Picard as a very kind of different character. You can tell she's been around humans now for like, you know, 15 years. Uh, very different, but still a lot of the same capabilities. In Picard, she, she shows to be a little more personal, a little more uh, human than she was before and, uh, and still a pretty, a pretty badass fighter. So I think seven and nine is going to anchor my operations slash science type role. Very technical. So that's my third pick. Yeah. I, I seven and nine uh, was a very interesting character. I kind of brought in to Voyager, I think with season four, you know, her, her, like I mentioned, like when, when I talked about the doctor, her relationship with him and both dealing with their you know, exploring humanity, I think led to a lot of, a good storylines in Voyager. Greatly intelligent. You talked about the actual astrometrics labs. A lot of um, plot points come from that. Um, and also just the, the interaction with the Borg as, as Voyager gets later in the series, uh, bring a lot of conflict to, to her personal character. So, and, and she's strong and, and she's not as, as prone to that. She's exploring her emotions, but it, she still is a very rigid uh, person who, who takes duty seriously and I think she, she'd be a, a good crew member. Yeah, so I just thought of this, right? So I, when you talk about a Federation ship, right, who are you afraid to run into probably? The Borg. The Borg. The Borg. Who do you got on your, on your command staff here? Seven or nine. Who else are you afraid to run into? The Dominion. Who's, who's, who's on your staff? <laughs> I mean, we are stacked to handle the Federation's largest enemies should we run into them with personnel that, are, that have in-depth, unique knowledge that really cannot be replaced. I mean, if you ever fight the Scots, you'll be good to go. The English. If we ever fight the English, uh, you know, Scotty's got a, a reckoning. Uh, <laughs> no. uh, but seven of nine is my third pick. Mike, you, are you familiar with Voyager? You're pretty familiar, right? Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? I think it's a strong pick. I, like you said, I think uh, she can serve in a couple different roles. You know, I was trying to find when I was doing my research, what her technical position was on the crew, but yeah, she was uh, serving in more of a science position 
in the astrometrics lab, did not have an official crew position. The theory always was that they brought 709 on the show for sex appeal and they lost Kess, who was there for the first three seasons, who right. was Neelix's girlfriend or whatever. Right. Is one, do we is, is that true? And two, are we are we are we happy with the way they developed her character to try to get away from that very basic reason to bring someone like her on the show? So from what I understand, they wanted to just bring a star on the sh- on the show. And Jerry Ryan was a bit of a rising star. Um, mm-hmm. Was not an unknown like the rest of the cast, save for um, Kate McGrew. Kate McGrew. She she was a, a, a well-known, I think, television actress um, uh, who's kind of angering the show, so to speak. And they decided they needed a bigger name to pull in. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they pulled in Jerry Ryan. They did play up the sex appeal. I, I honestly believe the only reason she's not giving a Starfleet commission is because they wanted to keep her in her outfits. But, yeah. So I'm pretty sure that's why they did it. So that, that being said, I'm sure once she gets back, she can easily get a, a, a commission. And in Picard, I mean, they're not, they don't play that sex appeal up or anything. She's a much more, they do a much better job of representing her as a woman yeah. on that show. I think Seven is a huge upgrade over Kess. Kess was too placating, too, uh, just too enjoyable. And, and sort of my problem with Voyager in general is that things don't go bad enough for being a mm-hmm. starship on the other side of the galaxy with no ability Anything. to rehaul, refit, repurpose at Starfleet bases or anything. That show really, it was probably a little too early, but it really should have been a more like a Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. Which if you watch that show, that ship gets worse yeah. all the time. Mm-hmm. People get meaner and ruder. And, <laughs> and that show actually starts to divide and people actually divide and they never come back together again. It's a much more realistic show. That's what I think Voyager feels like Star Trek, the next generation, except they never run into other Federation people. That's mm-hmm. what it feels like. So I don't, I think they really did a poor job of playing up the fact that they're sent somewhere else. Right. That's beside the point, but seven of nine, it's going to be anchoring my science as well as probably my operations to be able to, uh, you know, take care of that aspect of our, our missions as well as be a, a liaison and an expert on the, the biggest enemy the, the Federation has ever faced. And that's the Borg. Yeah. So when, when she first appeared in the Borg costume, they had mismeasured her. And so when they had made all these different components, uh, one of them actually was cutting off circulation. So she was Ooh. passing out while wearing that full Borg costume. See, she's a dedicated actress. What mm-hmm. I mean, and then to speak to why they brought her on the show, uh, something that I saw that the director said that actually was, was good to hear. If you'll remember, I think she had a silver outfit when she first yes. was de-assimilated. Mm-hmm. And they quickly moved away from that. And so the next outfit that she had was much less showy. And she said it was less form-fitting. It had a thicker, more rigid cloth. Yeah, first, it was like uh, a purple this, type suede-ish uh-huh. kind of woolly kind of, yeah. And that, that silver outfit apparently had these uh, ribs in them that were really structured and acted almost like a corset. So again, uncomfortable yeah. and probably trying to uh, play up the body image way too much. And right. So the, the director thought that didn't fit with the Star Trek fan base and was happy to move away from that. So, like I said, I, I do remember that silver outfit. That stood out way too much. It seemed like almost <laughs> way too old school sci-fi. 
like I'm wearing a bright silver, you know, single one piece kind of thing. It's like, mm-hmm. that's weird. And so, yeah, the, 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 the kind of woolly uh, kind of dark magenta one kind of fit a little bit more with the atmosphere, even though I would have preferred uh, if she was kind of made an officer and then given a, a, a uniform. Just a quick tidbit. I don't know if you noticed fans of the next generation, right? But like halfway through season two, they're wearing these real tight Federation uniforms, no collar, stocks right at the mm-hmm. neckline, so no turtleneck collar, and real tight. And then they yes. switch to a much more loose suede uniform with a collar. I got to say, I like the collar. Yes. Yeah, I love the collar. I love the loose fitting. <laughs> and what I, what I read was that it was because uh, Patrick Stewart's chiropractor said that that tight uniform is compressing your back too much. Really? And they said, you need to get them to give you a different uniform. So they redesigned the uniforms, which well, the thank goodness. ones were way better. So just the, the Yeah, so. we can thank his bad back for that. Okay, let's do a quick recap before we finish off the last two rounds. Go ahead, Mike. All right. In my captain's chair, I've got Jean-Luc Picard as his first officer. I've got Spock. And then as the ship's doctor, I've got Dr. Beverly, Beverly Crusher. Yeah, for me, uh, I have in my captain's chair, Benjamin Sisko of uh, Deep Space Nine fame. Bringing his medical expertise to the crew, I have the emergency medical hologram from Voyager and America's first officer, uh, William Riker, serving also. And uh, for me, I have my uh, chief engineer, Montgomery Scott, the miracle worker. I have Constable Odo as security chief. Uh, and as science and operations, I have seven of nine. Your crew has very, very regal titles. <laughs> yes. Or just names in general. So as you could tell, I definitely wanted to call out, like, they don't have to necessarily be Starfleet officers if they're, like, you know, main characters. And because, mostly because of Odo. I really wanted Odo. And he does mm-hmm. not have a commission. So that's kind of where I was going with that. Uh, okay, so I am going to I'm gonna go now. Mm. Gosh, this is tough. Are you trying to get no two people from the same show? Why? What do you? I mean, you're you're pretty you're pretty spread out. You're I am pretty spread out. So here's I'm thinking of going for a flush here. I think oh, I'm, oh. I'm thinking and of grab, all the shows. I think so. I think it might be worth it to do that. I think so. That's what I'm. I'm going for the flush. So anyway, I'm going to pick Lieutenant Commander Data. Um, uh-huh. I'm going to keep seven in science and I'm going to put data in operations where he, he fits at home. Uh, we're talking about Brent Spiner's data from the next generation, an Android built incredibly advanced Android. I kind of mentioned the, the episode measure of a man, which is more of a Picard episode, but it's about data Starfleet trying to study him without his permission since androids don't have rights in the Federation. But a special dispensation was given to Data because they ruled that Data is clearly not your standard uh, Android, uh, and he has sentience. So Data, processing speed beyond anything a human could hope for, can calculate math like that, drop of a hat, access record files in his data bank, uh, no pun intended. Incredibly strong. I mean, uh, a lot of the episodes you'll see Data move this tree and he will pick it up and move it and you'll kind of see that old school sci-fi uh, special effects where he picks up a rock that clearly is like paper mache uh, and he'll toss it. One of my favorite things on that point is watching an, uh, I think it was Insurrection where Data basically just walks into a huge lake to the bottom to see what's there and it walks back out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably one of my least favorite 
Star Trek movies is Insurrection. Though Data did have some good points in that. A lot of Data's story involves him wanting to be human. Kind of his desire. He's always trying to pick up music, pick up poetry. At a certain point, uh, we learn he has a android brother who's, who's kind of evil. Lore is his name. And he goes back to meet what they call his father, that Dr. Soon. And uh, I think that's how he gets his emotion chip which he then uses sometimes in the show and in the movies and eventually has the ability to turn it on and off um, so he can experience emotions. If you like the Data character in The Next Generation, of course, he does have pretty substantial roles in both First Contact and Nemesis, at least significant parts of the plot. So he's definitely probably the most focused on character besides Picard. And I think that's for good reason. Uh, they're able to write his complex character evolve and become more human. And then lastly, you have to check out the Picard series if you like kind of what goes on with Data. Uh, he's not in it very much, but the Picard series does center on androids in general. And so they're always kind of referencing Data. Mm-hmm. So... That show provided a nice kind of bow to the ta- to the data character, uh, one that I thought was pretty emotional. Mike, what did you think about that Picard, the data parts of it, without spoiling? Man, I enjoyed that arc a lot. Yeah, and you get to see how much that relationship meant to Picard. So yep. uh, it's it's well worth the watch. Yep. So I'm taking uh, from the next generation data as my operations officer. David, what do you think? You know, like you said, Data brings a lot to the table. I think uh, two things off the bat, the intelligence and the strength, which, uh, you know, would always come in handy no matter what situation you find yourself in. Um, I think of any um, vulnerabilities you might have that, you know, you mentioned Data's emotion chip and how, you know, I can't recall the top of my head, but I I remember that being manipulated at some points during Star Trek. But I think he's a a strong crew member. Um, He's he can help with engineering. He has the intelligence to help with the captain evaluating a decision when facing an unknown foe or undiscovered world. But, you know, he's not just an android. He has explored his human side. So I think he, he does bring a whole well-rounded character to the crew. Yeah. Data. Uh, kind of a last minute. I was kind of toying, with, like I said, with Seven and Data is kind of in the same role, uh, even though, you know, one's a little more science one's a little more mechanical and operational. In their studies that they definitely cross paths, which I think professionals do just in general. But uh, I went ahead. I'm going for the flush. I'm trying to pull characters from every show. So get a nice royal flush here. Kind of. I got one more to go. So David, number four. Okay. Looking at my, at my lineup, uh, I think um, what I'm missing is a chief engineer. And I think the only person who could even try to replicate what Montgomery Scott can do engineering wise is the chief engineer from the next generation, Jordy LaForge. I think, you know, he shows his engineering expertise throughout the whole series. He has his visor because he was born blind that gives him the ability to see all sorts of different things in the electromagnetic spectrum and infrared and ultraviolet waves and things like that. But also, I think I, I'm picking him because throughout these series, he's one of the best people that help data explores humanity. And I think with the emergency medical hologram on my crew, I think Jordy is well positioned to assist the doctor in exploring those issues of humanity as they may come up. So yeah, my, my chief engineer uh, for my crew is going to be Jordy LaForge. I think that's an excellent pick. He's one of my favorite characters from next generation. Yeah. LaForge, LaForge is good uh, as an engineer. Yeah. I'd, I'd put him at number, at number two. 
so the the funny thing is, uh, you know, I don't know if y'all consider Chief Miles O'Brien as an engineer in Deep Space Nine. He's technically that's the role he's kind of filling, the technician, the mechanic. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't is not an enlisted officer. He's actually right, so he's he's a, he's a chief. But he, I might like him more as a character, Miles O'Brien. That is, but I think Jordy is definitely a way a way more skilled engineer. Obviously, he was an engineer on the ship at the time when. O'Brien was just a transporter operator. So Cameron, you're more familiar with uh, Deep Space Nine than, um, or you're more up to date with it. Miles O'Brien, I read some stuff online that he might not have been the most focused or best kind of engineering person. Uh, Is there elements of that in the show or are those people off base? Not to use bad phrase, but he's kind of a, and I can't think of a better term, so I'm sorry, but he's kind of a, a grease monkey. Mm-hmm. He's not like a high level engineer, yeah. right? He's like, you know, he's a chief. So he knows how to fix things. You know, they send him down right. all these shafts to, you know, fix that, rig that. They never really write him to kind of have that higher, you know, what our Star Trek philosophical, ethical dilemmas. Right. He's kind of written as more of kind of the simple enlisted officer. He doesn't really pay off in that regards for sure. I'm thinking of like Jordy LaForge episodes. Isn't there one where he like kind of starts falling for a, a holographic doctor, scientist or engineer? That's, that sounds familiar. Yes. That's so he can get used to working with her because she's coming on the ship. Right. And then when she comes on the ship. Yeah, she's, she's nothing. Th- yeah. And, and they don't have good banter. They don't and have then he any good them. interaction. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he's I remember that. That's. You know, and I also, I'd be amiss to not mention some vulnerabilities for Jordy. One, his visor can be hacked and give away the <laughs> shield polarity and lead to an attack. Um, Which apparently, this, if, if the Enterprise takes one torpedo, that's it. She's gone. She, they have to abandon ship. When the ships go down once, they cannot survive, which is interesting. Uh. David, of course, referencing Star Trek Generations, Jory's visor was hacked and uh, he gave away, gave away the ship. And, and I, well, the funniest thing was, um, it was the Klingons, right? Or the, the Duras sisters, the, yeah. Yeah. And they, you know, the Forge is, you know, returned to the, to the I think, to the Enterprise. And there, there was, line was, this must be the only chief engineer in Starfleet who never goes to engineering because he <laughs> takes him like hours to go to engineering. <laughs> Yeah, Jordy LaForge, good pick. Quality engineer. Interesting enough, David, our engineers have worked together because in that episode, Relics. Yeah. The, the person that, that Scotty uh, kind of talks to the most is, is Picard it's, and LaForge. And he kind of, yeah. he's with LaForge when they kind of solve that episode's problem. Yeah. All right, Mike, what do you got? All right. So I'm trying to figure out because I really liked Jordy for engineering. So now I'm kind of going to another pick here and you were talking about being a miracle worker Cameron about Scotty and I feel like that's pretty applicable to this engineer I'm gonna go with Paul Stamets and so for those of you that don't know he is from Discovery and I am going to go ahead and spoil some things so if you want to all right let's uh, give him uh let's give him one one minute what do you think sure okay all right. So Stamets is a specialist in studying fungi and they develop a spore drive for the discovery that basically allows the ship to travel the mycelial network. And it's 
almost like teleporting. So you don't even need light speed travel anymore. You can travel from one side of the galaxy to the other through the Spore network almost instantaneously. So I think that would be a huge asset to my crew, Picard, Spock. They're going to be able to go on so many more missions and see so much more of the galaxy. So that I think is really exciting. I never, I rewatched episodes. I still don't know how that spore drive works. I don't really understand how it's supposed to work. I, it, do you, did you ever really even figure it out? And that's what I kind of liked about Discovery. So in a lot of the other Star Trek series, they'll, they'll talk about these things in scientific terms, but they're clearly made up. And I feel like in Discovery, they go so far out with things that it's almost like magic, right. but they're supposed to be based in science. Okay, we'll stop the spoil there. Uh, for, for, uh, so Paul Stamets, David, you're not familiar. He is the engineer on Discovery. I've heard only good things, so I look forward to seeing his work. Famously, if I'm not correct, right, the first openly homosexual character on Star Trek. Am I correct? I am not sure. Uh, he certainly is, and yeah. I don't think that they had any overt characters before him. Uh, you're right. There were some... Actually, Deep Space Nine did some minor stuff, I remember, uh, though it was in the Mirror Universe. Interesting enough. And I feel like they, I saw things on the internet about uh, Seven of Nine as well. Huh. Hmm. I don't remember that, but that's interesting. I'll look, I'll look into that. I, I, I thought the Space Nine had some things. I don't remember Voyager, but anyway, that was a big deal. Uh, great character, very conflicted character at times, deals with trauma. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's a great, great character on, on, the, on the ship. A lot of good characters on the show. And yeah, I mean, a great engineer, bit of a jerk to begin off with. Uh-huh. Uh, Sometimes he's, he's kind of like bones. Yeah. <laughs> he's on his horse about everything, um, but he kind of mellows out and he becomes real, a real team player. So Paul Stamets, yeah, not sure where to go once Scotty and LaForge are gone. So not really a bad pick at this point for engineering because you don't have a lot of options out there. I, I think he's a solid one. I, yeah. I think he's proven himself for yeah. sure. Uh, that actor, if you're a fan, uh, was also in Rent. So yes, he was in Rent. That. So yeah. that's Anthony Rapp, right? Who famously kind of uh, did the during the 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 beginning of the Me Too movement, right? Accused Kevin Spacey, right? Oh, of, I didn't like, know 20, that. Twenty years oh. ago. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Twenty really? years ago, he like he was sort of you know I forget the details, but essentially was molested or was hit on in a very you know disgusting way by kevin spacey that was the beginning of it for spacey was anthony rapp this actor and that's so so sad yeah um i'm i'm glad that uh that's all come out all right paul i mean paul i saw paul stamets uh all right let's (laughs) let's finish out this round finish it up who do we got who's the last uh the last player on your, your your team here okay so this one man i am struggling because i really wanted I, I am not a warlike person, and I feel like my crew should be all about scientific discovery. However, I think they should be able to protect themselves. So I'm trying to figure out who my tactical officer or, or chief of security should be. And so that's what I'm trying to figure out right now. And again, I don't want to lean heavy into one show. 
do you all see any problems with having too many supremely logical people together? To a degree, you got Picard and Spock. They're pretty, they're pretty logical. You're thinking Tuvok is what I'm thinking, right? And that's, yeah, that's kind of who I was considering. But back to my original formula, I was going with a head, a heart, and a gut to guide my crew. Yeah. And I haven't really picked a someone to be the gut. No, Picard's oh, going to be the heart. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You got to have a, a gut for sure. Well, I feel like I'm going to shake things up a little bit, throw in a, a, a more of a wild card character then. I like and it. And so I described him, or sorry, I've described this character to Cameron as being almost Deity level during the show. But again, I'm going to go with the Discovery pick here, and I'm going to go with Michael Burnham. So let's go back to spoilers. Okay. All right. All right. We're going to spoil for about uh, 90 seconds here. So Michael Burnham, right? First officer of the, what's the name of the ship? The, the Shinzu or something Shin, like that? Shin, Shinzo. Yeah. Shinzo, Shin, right? Shinzo. Uh, great first officer. But kind of, and I like how she stands her ground. She makes her decision. She thinks it's a pivotal decision and she disobeys her captain. Mm-hmm. Kind of violates mm-hmm. some clear protocols and some clear rules of Starfleet, but uh, she does that. That knocks her down, and then she comes on to the the next show. I mean, the next ship, the Discovery, as sort of a advisor capacity. But you're right; she's a first officer uh, innately. She has those abilities, and a very interesting character, the Michael Burnham character. I think they definitely did not miss the mark like they do on a lot of Star Trek shows when writing main characters like that. Also, probably the first show with an actual main character. Right. You can tell everything is centering yeah. around this one yeah. character's arc. Yeah. Now, as you mentioned earlier, she is the adoptive sister of right. Spock. Yeah. And so that is going to be an interesting relationship to explore on my crew. I feel like they grew up together. Um, they think differently, but she appeals to Spock's humanity and he will appeal to her logical side yes. a lot of times we see her make those gut reaction decisions and go with them and so i feel like he's going to temper her and then i feel like picard is going to act in the same way now picard uh something that burnham's character has a lot in discovery is is uh, a parental figure because she mm-hmm. lost her parents yeah. and so she finds that in uh philippa Giorgio the captain of the Shinzo and then in uh, Jason Isaac's character. Yeah. No, what's, what's right. his captain's name? I forget, but great character. And so he's yeah. almost like a, a father yeah. figure to yeah. her. And so I feel like Picard can definitely occupy that role and be a positive mentor for her. I feel like she's going to bring in the action uh, to their crew. She's, She's awesome on away missions. She's always first to volunteer to go into any kind of dangerous situation. So that paired with Spock is going to be a good, uh, good crew. And then she works well with Stamets as well. Okay. David's back here. So uh, just (laughs) high level stuff here. Michael Burnham, sort of the main character of discovery uh, has first officer experience, kind of a science background. But uh, great interpersonal 
character with other people on ships. So she'll be able to connect, I think is what we said to Michael's uh, crew real easily, right? Obviously, she's a great foil for Spock. She will have a nice kind of paternal relationship with Picard. And obviously, she's worked with Stamets. So I think a great wild card, not safe pick, Michael Burnham. And I'll just add, played by Sonequa Martin-Green, who I actually went to college with at the University of Alabama. What? You're kidding. No. I mean, I didn't know her. We had mutual friends. But, yeah, she was there when I was there. What? You never met her? I know. I mean, I I think I've seen her. I saw her in passing in groups of friends, but I never met her. I didn't know that. Yep. Wow. If only you knew now what you did. If I had known that she was going to be in Star Trek and The Walking Dead, you know, it would have been, yeah. Oh, yeah. that's right. She was in you, The Walking Dead. Yeah. You yeah. should have made it a point to meet her. I should have. Oh, gosh. All right, Dave. Okay. So, uh, like we were talking earlier, five people is kind of hard to staff, to staff a ship with. And, and, and so, there's a lot of directions I could go here. But, you know, I look at what I don't have. I don't have a helmsman. I think Jordy could fill that in. I think he did in several instances in The Next Generation. Strength, security, I may be lacking that now, but I think both Cisco and Riker are capable of filling that kind of role if necessary. So I'm going to kind of go to left field here, and I'm going to think I'm going to need a different kind of person, someone who isn't a Starfleet officer, someone who doesn't always follow the rules, who's willing to get a little dirty to try to get things done, um, and who also might bring a little fun to the ship. So I'm going for Quark from Deep Space Nine. A businessman, a smuggler, someone who can get things done and who runs a good bar. Um, I think he would bring a lot of skills that a a stereotypical academy graduate may not have. So I'm going to add him as the last member of my crew. I think this is a great pick. This might go down as the best round. Quark is definitely, he might be tied or he's second tied with Odo as my favorite character on Deep Space Nine. Yeah, uh, he's definitely memorable. I mean, the, the his realism in in sort of in that era of Star Trek, a kind of almost uppity elitism is just a breath mm-hmm. of fresh air, right? Yeah. He's trying to run a business, you know, he's a little conniving, but not like evil, you know, he's just right. a regular person. He wants to make his money and, he, you know, he doesn't want people to get in the way by, you know, throwing like, highfalutin ethics at him every time you know he's trying to like nab a shipment of you know whatever swirl of squill or i remember one time (laughs) something like that um he's a thousand times better than the neelix character yeah oh this character is what he's probably going to occupy on your ship yeah but he'll be way better at it not annoying and will actually probably be able to procure some stuff Speaking of the Neelix character, there's something funny I read online is that Neelix is like main, his, his official job is pretty much like the chef and also kind of counselor. And someone mentioned like, and they're always eating food out of the replicator. That should show you how good a job Neelix actually did <laughs> the one job he had. Right? Well, he's so, always making weird stuff, you know? Yeah, that he, no one ever eats. And he never just, learned to like make like Salisbury steak or something. Right. He just was making, you know, whatever. Are there any other chefs in, or cooks in any of the shows? Other than him? No, no. The, yeah, no. Uh, yeah, the, the replicator ori- serves the yeah. job. In the original series, they sometimes had a cafeteria, and there were clearly people who worked there, but there mm-hmm. wasn't, like, cooking. I think Neelix was the first time to do that. Of course, there's been similar roles, like Guinan in The Next Generation was kind yeah. of the, the – she had a very interesting character, the head of the 10 Forward Bar uh, recreation yeah. area. Whoopi she served almost – as a counselor only because so she's not human she's like a very ancient 
alien species and they're very yeah. wise and that's kind of yeah. why mm-hmm. um and then quark did the role great uh in these base nine so i think it's a home run pick i don't know how it's funny like, yeah i don't know how your admiral is gonna feel when he's like hey can you give me the <laughs> the four the four people you need on your team and you, you, you put this ferengi bartender <laughs> along with you uh so that's that's interesting but great character uh, i think certainly if it were making a tv show quark's a win for sure Something I'm noting, we've got an all-male crew here from you. Yeah, oh, that's right. interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. You couldn't, you did, did you even bother to interview any female uh, applicants or officers? I, you know, I was, I was brought binders full of female applicants, but I just, you know, I, I got to, you know, this is a military operation. I got to <laughs> think of the, the mission. So there are plenty of qualified female officers. I just happened in my order. The best available, in my opinion, was was a man at all my at all my points. Yeah, I feel like I guess I guess Joe, your doctor. The Joe, yeah. I mean, are we, are we assigning a gender to the EMH? Is the question. Yeah, he could be I, I, easily I, I, swapped, I suppose. Re, reprogram <laughs> his visuals just for appearances. Um, I okay. will say, mentioning Quark before we move on, yeah. one of my biggest regrets is having never been able to go to Star Trek: The Experience in Las Vegas which was like a next generation based like ride at the Hilton right. in Vegas. And there yeah. was like a what? bar there. You're and kidding. I'm, no. And I'm so, it closed like, I want to say like in the late nineties or 2000, but yeah. it looked like mm-hmm. it would have been a fun thing to go to. So huh. I never yeah. even heard of that. That's wild. Yeah. You got to hope something's going to come. I mean, they got the star Wars lands everywhere now. Um, they got Harry so. Potter. They're doing a Mario at universal. Star Trek has yeah. to be somewhere. The problem Who's- is, Star Trek Who's has so the, many different, you know, yeah. you, can, you can't, yeah. can't make one place because they're so right. different. All the shows are very different. Yeah. Who's the owner of all the properties? What production company or what? Paramount. Yeah. I think owns Paramount. the movie rights. Hmm. I, I don't know where the TV rights are. So, yeah, I don't think they, they have any kind of. But so whoever's over Paramount. Park. Yeah. Yeah. That is a missed opportunity. For sure. That's a huge, huge base of fans you would think that they could appeal to. Yeah, the problem is that, right, Star Trek does not appeal to children. So, well, unlike that Star might be Wars, a fun, that the, might be a good theme park, though. But children kind of drive a lot of those experience things. I want to go here, I want to go there. And Star Wars has fans of all ages. Uh, That's especially true. Especially with these very blockbustery movies now. Um, mm-hmm. and, Speaking uh, of that, Cameron, Star Trek not applying to children. Do you remember going to the Star Trek convention on the campus yes, of the University of Arkansas? I do remember. Like and do you remember which Deep Space Nine character was there? It was Quark. No, it wasn't. It was one of the... Um, it was not no, There was two characters. Was there one, two? One, oh, you know what it was? It was Dukat and it yep, was yep. Wayoon. Yes. Who is actually a famous Star Trek character? He's played like ten or eleven characters. Yeah, he was the Andorian in Enterprise. He, he's played. He played a Ferengi on Deep Space Nine, also a reoccurring Ferengi. I forget his his name, but yeah, it was Wayoon and Dukat. That's who it yeah, was. Dukat. I remember, I remember because I was like, I don't recognize these guys because they're not in yeah. makeup. There I wish are. they had somebody who I like was put like, their makeup oh, on. <laughs> no, I do remember we went to that Star Trek convention. I bought a, uh, a, a, a like a Star Trek trading card game, <laughs> like that. I remember that. Yeah, that was cool. What age do you think you all were when you went to that? Ooh, I was probably twelve at the most. Maybe, Maybe a year or two 11. after we moved. Yeah, so yeah. I yeah, I, I might have been like thirteen or fourteen. 
Yeah. And I remember it was the old days because I knew about it because it was advertised on UPN or whatever show epi- uh, station oh, was airing local, Star Trek. Local TV. That's like local TV. Like this weekend, Star Trek at the University of Arkansas. That's too funny. Uh, that's great. I'm going to look up a convention. Well, I guess they're not having any right now. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, well, if I bring along uh, the EMH or Beverly Crusher, I'm sure it'll be okay. <laughs> okay, guys, I'm going to finish us off here. You probably don't know who I'm going to pick, right? I don't know. Do you have any idea? A captain. So uh, to go with your group, I feel like if you go with Kirk, you're going to have a pretty warlike crew. Yeah. So I'm not going to go with Kirk. Great character, great hero. I really don't want him commanding the ship. I mean, he's always losing it. He's getting into (laughs) fights. He's throwing jabs and quips at people. He's always looking for the green alien girl. Um, he's just he is not. He's a he's a Western hero. He's not like a an authentic uh, military commander, in my opinion. So I got Montgomery Scott uh, engineering from the from uh, the original series. I got Data from the Next Generation doing operations. I got Odo from Deep Space Nine doing security. I got Seven of Nine doing science from Voyager. The next show I'm going to tap into is going to be Discovery. And I'm no, I'm not taking Captain Giorgio. No, I'm not taking Chris Isaac's captain character. I am taking Christopher Pike from Discovery, the character that was reintroduced in Discovery mm-hmm. after the pilot episode uh, that, uh, what was his name, Jeffrey, but who originally played the, the captain on the, the original Enterprise of Star Trek in the 60s. And then that pilot was passed over and then they recasted most of the cast and Kurt came in, uh, William Shackner. But Christopher Pike in season two of Discovery, he's present the whole season, uh, much of it in his glorious yellow shirt. <laughs> but he, in an era of TV where there's a lot of anti-heroes, he really brings back that old school genuine leader that uh, that I think is really just fun to watch. He's friendly to the crew. He jokes. He is always asking for people's opinion. He is not afraid to show his face as being like, I don't understand. How, can, well, how does this work? Um, and then he accepts people's uh, advice and their opinion, and then he makes his decision, and then they move forward. He is just a pure team player. You know, I think I said Jean-Luc Picard would be a, a great boss, but I think this Christopher Pike is truly a great heroic leader. So much so that he was enjoyed. That there is now, I, I hope you guys are aware, they now are having a Pike show. Yeah, I saw that in my research. It, it, yes, and Dave, it's, if you watch Discovery, I mean, the first season is good for its own reasons, and the second mm-hmm. reason, season is good for its own reasons. And they're, diff- they're good for different reasons. But one of the best things about the second season is the Christopher Pike character, who acts as almost the default captain during some transition period, which is why they, how they were able to write him in. But mm-hmm. his kind of secure command kind of presence that he puts off on the crew just makes you feel good you feel safe with 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 captain pike so i'm going with uh, captain pike from the discovery series yeah so i looked up those actors for you yeah uh jeffrey hunter was That's the it. original actor and then sean kinney played him as well in 66 bruce greenwood played him in the movies mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then anson mount is the discovery mm. actor anson mount yeah what did you think of the character, the Pike character, Michael? He's, 
I, I don't want to be mean, but I feel like he's a little bit like bread. He's just a little, little bland. Like who? Um, bread, just, you know, I like bland. bread. Like bread? He's, he's, yeah, he's not popping on the screen. <laughs> you uh, don't think he kind of provides a, a nice sense of nostalgia, kind of a throwback? Uh, well, I know that's definitely... And and the uh, the ship's design is supposed to look that way. His his uniform is a throwback. Yeah. So he, it definitely has that feel. It's just that I feel like the Discovery crew has encountered so many crazy things that he feels like he's from a, a different show. And I guess that's maybe what they're trying to do with his character, bring in something new. But uh, yeah, I, I I guess like I understand the Pike character is not. He's not trying. He's not written to be a Picard uh, or a Cisco or a Janeway. Um, he's closer to a Kirk or an Archer. I, I just think if if Star Trek is in that traditional sense is supposed to be written to be like an optimistic reflection of our best selves in the future and our best society, uh, this Pike represents that. He's he's not perfect. He's flawed, but he is brave and just a decent human being, a decent person. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's kind of like, hey, if I can't promise you any skills, what would you like your captain to be like? That's sort of how the character's written. Like, he, he's not like a super smart, top-of-his-class Picard guy, uh, you know? So, but he's just like an all-around. You can tell he just rose through the ranks just because he knows how to work with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I was trying to get at, uh, he sees Gabriel Lorca's that's his office name. yeah and he sees <laughs> he's like how did you all have any meetings in here yeah it's that like, was it's like one one table no chairs yeah yeah and so uh, i think burnham's character says well that wasn't really his style so that was something just to really indicate the difference between the two yeah i thought that was funny yeah all right let's do a quick recap and then we'll let make sure everybody votes all right in the captain's chair Making it so, I've got Jean-Luc Picard. In the first officer spot, I've got Spock, and he's going to bring in all his Vulcan wisdom and his suppressed human emotions, uh, able to relate to the crew and think through things very effectively. I've got his adoptive sister, Michael Burnham, and she's going to be serving in a role that's... uh, kind of like a Swiss army knife. She's going to be able to cover whatever needs to be done. Very willing to go on away missions and put herself in harm's way. Her character uh, is also a good foil to Spock. They temper each other, even each other out. And then Jean-Luc Picard is going to be kind of a paternal uh, role to her. And then in my chief engineering position, I've got Paul Stamets also from discovery and he's going to bring in, some superior technology into the engineering sphere here. And so he's going to be able to get that ship around faster than anybody else. Well, I almost forgot one to finish this out. I've got uh, Dr. Crusher best bedside manner in the star Trek universe. And uh, also just extremely capable doctor. Very brilliant. Yeah, to recap mine, leading my crew, I have the hero of the Dominion War himself, Benjamin Sisko, our chief medical officer, a fountain of uh, medical knowledge from across the galaxy, 
the EMH from Voyager. Um, number one will be our first officer, William Riker, with his beard. Jordy LaForge and his visor will be running our engineering department. And then bringing up the end of our crew is Quark, who will be able to find our way out of any tough spots we find ourselves in to acquire any needed parts or maybe just a little bit of ale that we might need for those long, dark journeys. That's my crew. All right. And uh, Cameron here for my crew. Captaining our ship, the original captain of the Enterprise, uh, Captain Christopher Pike, pulling on the character from Discovery. All-around great guy. Knows how to work with people. Uh, As first officer, I think I'm going to appoint Data, Uh, who is also in charge of the operations department. He has a command experience and first officer experience, uh, but more importantly, he's just an incredible Android with great uh, knowledge and expertise. Also on the bridge, we have seven of nine heading up our science and uh, probably our astrometrics lab uh, on the ship. Great Borg experience and great scientists and acumen for everything that Starfleet looks for uh, in, in science and uh, forward thinking. Also on the ship, we have Constable Odo, who's managing security. He's going to be able to kind of deal with our internal problems and external problems. He's a shapeshifter. He's got great Dominion experience as well. And then finally, down in the, in, in the engineering, we have uh, the greatest of all time, the miracle worker, Scotty Montgomery Scott, who's going to be able to get those engines up and running at uh, Warp Factor 9. And uh, if you're ever in a tough, tough, tough spot, he'll, he'll beam you up. He'll beam you right up. So, guys, make sure you go vote, especially if you're a Star Trek fan. If you have no idea who these people are, then just vote on our argument. Maybe that'd be the way to do it. Uh, but if you're a Star Trek fan, let us know where we were right, where we were wrong. Uh, go to What's on Draft Pod on Twitter. Uh, you can also vote on our Facebook page, What's on Draft Draft Room. All right, guys, real quick uh, alternates. Y'all got anything that's still on the table that you were thinking of picking? So I will say that uh, I, I really did think about picking Deanna Troy for my crew. But since we had to limit it to five spots, reason being her Betazoid features, uh, basically her abilities uh, to read people or other space beings and just see whether or not they're telling the truth is so vital. Yeah. Well, gosh, she just never seems to be doing much other than saying like, I sense apprehension like, oh, yeah we're, we're in the but middle, you know that's in the middle of a negotiation what, what they're not going to be calm also she's only half beta z so she can't actually do uh as much as the intense telepathy that a lot of the beta z's can little known fact yeah i'll say kira from deep space nine uh, a great character um you know as a kind of like a first officer to cisco i mean her background is like a bajoran freedom fighter um, just kind of the, the, the personality she brings to the station. She's not Starfleet, so she kind of butts heads with, with this going a lot of things. But I think, I think she's a really good character that, you know, I, I debated taking, but I didn't want to be too uh, Deep Space Nine heavy. I, I had Kara on my, my backups. I was thinking of going for a first officer, and so I had listed Riker. I had Kira. But my first pick for first officer was actually Saru. 
from discovery. Mm-hmm. I think that is, it's probably other than Pike is, is and, and probably uh, whatever Chris, Chris Isaac's character was. That's probably my favorite character uh, on the new show. Just his backstory, his alien backstory. You, it's not a spoiler, but their species, um, what was it? They sense fear. No, that's not it. Uh-huh. Is that it, it? Well, they sense death. They, oh, they sense danger is what it is. Right, they sense when there's like something yeah, about to like happen. death is impending, and mm-hmm. that's because they're hunted on their planet. So that's they've evolved to have that sensing. So it's really cool how they kind of created that. So I had Kira, uh, and that character is played by Doug Jones. Doug Jones, amazing, amazing, yeah, yeah, famous Doug Jones, who's worked a lot with Guillermo del Toro. Uh-huh. Uh, right, not the U.S. senator. No, not the Alabama senator. <laughs> not that Doug Jones. Um, I think the last ones I had, I was toying just in case somebody stole, stole Odo. I was going to probably go with Worf. I think he's probably the best security officer. Powerful in a bind. You can always rely on a Klingon. Um, mm-hmm. So that's it. David, any more alternates? I mean, I, I, I was leaning towards Tuvok a lot. Uh, for you know, I, I like the, the Vulcan sensibility he brings the security officer position. You know, no one can, can challenge Odo in that kind of detective role, but I think Tuvok has the intelligence to be able to to use that when he's investigating things that, you know, whereas Worf might bring the strength, I think Tuvok can bring some of the thought and logic to that position. Mm-hmm. I'll say that one of my favorite actors and uh, people that has been in a Star Trek series is George Takei. So... Sulu was was on my list, but he's just an amazing person. So go go follow him on social media. He's hilarious, and uh, he's he's still out there doing stuff. In what what age is the original cast now? I mean, they're, they're, I think they're Sulu's almost ninety, isn't he? Yeah, they're up there. There's only three left. It's just Sulu, Shatner, and Ohura. And Ohura's oh, actually wow. in poor health. Um, so it's really just Shackner and, and Sulu, the two guys who don't like each other the most. The two guys. <laughs> uh, only 83, so hopefully we have him for a few more years. So Okay. okay. I just love his, his, oh, my. Yeah. Speaking of, he, uh, uh, George Takei was um, interned in a Japanese internment camp in Arkansas during the war. Yeah. Yeah. That's Famously, yeah. yeah. But now Michael does not care about that because – when we, Cameron, when we you drafted, shut your face. <laughs> when we drafted... Uh, I most certainly do care. I we, simply forgot that that was a failing Michael famously forgot about the internment camps. Hey, uh, you picked well, Thomas Jefferson hang here. Hang on, hang so. on. We Wait, what was, what was the question? That we drafted... You have to draft presidents to fill a basketball team. Ah, and on, on, on basketball ability or... Whatever you want. You can say that they have some skills that transfer to the court. Uh, so uh, Michael picked FDR, which is odd because that, he as, as, a, as a coach. Oh, as, as a coach. A coach. <laughs> as, I was going to say as, as a coach. But we were kind of going over what not, might not go well. It's kind of like, you know, the internment camps, of course, came up. So, yeah. but. And by that point, a lot of the really strong, famous leaders were picked either – for their athleticism, or they were already picked as coaches. So that was limited, sadly. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Dave, thanks for stopping by. It was a pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. And um, We'll have to beam you back now. (laughs) You have really encouraged me to go and and start Discovery, hopefully. 
and followed up with Picard uh, so I can kind of really appreciate the characters y'all pick. But, you know, it was, it was great. Thanks for having me. Anything to plug? Nothing to sell, nothing to plug. Uh, I'm just going to go and probably watch uh, some more. Well, I got to finish the Grant documentary. So that's about all. Oh, I just finished that yesterday. Oh, you just see, I have one more episode to do. So Yeah, no, Grant, I, 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 I like him more and more, especially in the times we're in now. Uh, yeah. the, the forgotten hero I, of America in my eyes. I will say you guys mentioned FDR and forgetting about the internment. I was doing research on Grant since watching the documentary. And apparently in the war, he, he had an order expelling all Jews from his military district. Oh, so everyone has a little bit in their past. That's he, he, true. Atoned, he atoned for that. Uh, he, you know, he actually turned out to be a, he was a very good president and was the first president, I think to attend like a synagogue opening, but you know, everybody oh, has interesting. Yeah. I did not, I did not know that. A lot of these leaders have stuff, especially wartime can be a, a tough time, but yeah. So that's, that's all I'm going to do. But yeah, thanks guys. It was, it was wonderful. It was great. Awesome. Everybody be sure to follow us on uh, Twitter and Instagram on what's on draft pod and check out our Facebook page. What's on draft draft room. Uh, please, please. If you enjoy this episode, even just a little bit, go ahead and rate our podcast. Give us those five stars if you could. That will help us show up more and, and gain more followers and listeners. Yeah. yeah. And feel free to comment on, on, on either of our uh, social media pages and let us know if there's something you want us to draft as well. Always looking for suggestions. Uh, I think that's it. Michael, uh, if you don't mind, I might take us out here with uh, second start of the right and straight on till morning. <laughs>